I'm your producer, Todd Bartu, and this is Offshore Explorer. Offshore Explorer looks at the world from the mariner's point of view, port by port. Together, we share stories that detail the important intersections between sailing, culture, and life, past, present, and future. Coming up on today's episode, wise guys, dog overboard, attempted theft, corrupt officials, and more. But first, let me introduce our host, a lifelong sailor who has traveled the world, raced international 14s, and crossed the Atlantic countless times. A published author who has written for both stage and screen, Mr. Scott Dodson. Hey, Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing great. So what do we have planned for today's episode? Well, today I'm talking a little bit about uh, scoundrels. Um, the boating world is got its number of characters for sure and it's a little bit different than being on land because there's a kind of a romance to the skellywag or the pirate uh, and I sort of address the situation that I found myself in when I was taking over command of a, of a vessel for an owner that wasn't quite forthright with me um, from a captain who was trying to rip off the owner and myself and people in between that were getting hurt and trying to keep their uh, their life in order. So um, it's a it's a story about uh, real scoundrels um, and a real event um, and how I sort of found myself, uh, even though I thought I was experienced, um, I acted fairly naively, but. Uh, yeah, we got through it. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting story. Okay, great. Take it away, Scott. As I am getting back to podcasting once a week, I'm sort of going through my mind with a lot of different types of stories and things that I want to say. But scoundrels seem to me to be somewhat of a thoughtful episode. Now scattered through my memory are lots of stories about little adventures, weird happenings, strange, unrestrained relationships, innocent encounters, innocent encounters with authorities that turn bizarre, um, money, always a problem, cash money, always a problem, but not a problem. Uh, politics that uh, one is aware of and politics that one is not aware of. Fights, retribution, revenge, out-and-out thievery, um, working for complete idiots, personal relationships gone bad overnight. And in spite of all these insanities, there is no better community than the sailing community. There's no better community for interesting people, that's for sure. It is also a community of generous and well-meaning people that give you hope and are the best of humanity. There is a large degree of insecure, dense, unaware, overbearing, Experts on everything never have understood the point and continue to bristle at the notion they don't know as much as they think they do. 
And this is a group of sailing experts that you could pretty much find in the States. They are unliked by their own family members, and even that is a sketchy statement. The family members are stuck with them, for better or for worse. I know who you are because I was one of you until I wasn't. It took a situation in which I was surrounded by scoundrels, manipulating the situation for their own personal gain. I was, in my mind, a savvy individual with lots of experience, both proper and street experience. My arrogance or belief in my abilities was tested and my outlook on how I saw my life adjusted to a state of humility and generosity. Scoundrels are viewed differently on sea than on land. We like our skellywags, their swashbuckling disregard for rules and personal hygiene. Scoundrels on the land are common thieves, hustlers, confidence men, people without a moral code, people who take advantage of weak and confused and sometimes clear-headed and greedy people. They can be dangerous and have absolutely no allure. On the sea, they seem blessed by a bygone era of pirates and privateers. They even fly their own flags, which I might interject right now that flying the skull and crossbones is essentially illegal by international law. Yeah, it's a novelty. It's fun flying a flag. It gives, you know, hey, I'm a pirate and, you know, let's have pirate days and go drinking and be crazy and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Well, essentially that pirate flag gives the authorities the right to burn and destroy you. It's the law. It's in common law on the ocean. The French authorities, in my experience, seem to take it more seriously than, than any other place. Because, I mean, everybody realizes it's just a novelty. But the French authorities will come and tell you to take that flag down because they have had some experience with pirates. Let me set the scene for you. Um, meet my principal scoundrels. Marty, the owner, an adult two-year-old with nearly a billion dollars, family-owned business that's incredibly successful, and his wife, Ritka, who is a manager of sorts. Um, their relationship is, is weird. Um, he's, he's very um, self-centered, and uh, the world revolves around him. She is also very strong um, in that area, and um, it, they just, there's just this thing that they, she bristles at his touch. You could see that. But they put on a, a show for their two kids um, who are actually adults at this time. Um, both uh, don't like their father. Um, both are um, like their father. And uh, in the fact that they, they are very selfish and, and they only see the world from their perspective and they have all the money in the world and they don't really care about people in one thing or the other. So 
Um, that's the kind of people you end up working for. Um, and it's, it's okay. I mean, you get it. There's always different kinds of people. Um, you're never going to have somebody that's like your favorite person. Um, sometimes they're interesting. I know that, you know, I wrote the piece on, um, on my first captain's gig, and that was a very special experience. I'd ask you to go back and listen to that. Um, because in that way, that ended up being an ideal situation. And after that, it was never ideal. So the other scoundrel in our story of scoundrels. Now, we're going to start this whole story. This is an Antibes France, which I've to- talked about before. but And we're going to just start there. Joey. Joey was a Boston mafia guy who is basically in hiding in the south of France. Um, talks like a mob guy, um, former construction guy, um, pretty good carpenter, um, wants to write his life story, which I might add he did. Um, the next one is the evil principal bad guy, um, John Smythe. He is a boat captain and uh, a thief, a liar, and um, the principal bad guy of our story. And Laura, my girlfriend, she's a Spanish heritage, um, speaks brilliant Spanish, uh, French educated, and a citizen of France. She's also a Tai Chi master, and she's was, probably still is, severely bipolar. Um, more manic than depressive, but very manic. She was a former um, runner-up to Miss Spain in the Miss Universe contest. She's very pretty. And she's one of the most generous souls that one would ever meet. Although completely crazy. Then there are the Russians. And I always refer to the Russians. At this time, there were a lot of Russians walking around with suitcases of money. Uh, wanting to buy boats and um, not understanding the system of going to buy a boat. And they just show up the back of your boat and say, hey, I want to buy your boat. And you have to explain to them that the boat really isn't for sale, but it could be for sale for the right price. And you'd have to talk to the owner and get a broker, blah, 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 blah. They didn't want anything to do with that. They just had bags of money and they wanted to make a deal. But so I will always talk about the Russians in that way. Then the broker, uh, Jean, uh, French, uh, world champion water skier. How that works, I don't know. How do you become a world champion water skier? But he was a boat broker. And he was the one that sort of put uh, Marty and and. Ritika in touch with me and me in touch with them and he was sort of the center of this bizarre story I'm about to tell you. The other scoundrels are the revenue collectors. Um, That would be the VAT tax, um, value-added tax, which they have in Europe. So if you buy a boat, um, you have to pay a tax, and it's anywhere between 21 and 15 or 17%. Depends. They change it constantly. The key thing to know about VAT tax, as an aside, is that the 
authorities of that area, let's say it's a county or a township or a small city or whatever the case may be, if they collect the tax, then they get a portion of that tax. And then in that portion, there's a kickback to the revenue guys. Now, that's not completely legal. Matter of fact, it's totally illegal, but that's basically how it works. So they see a big yacht. They want to see if you've paid your VAT tax because if you haven't paid your VAT tax, they're going to make a big push to, to get the money from you and not let your boat leave their jurisdiction. And then there's me. Um, maybe I was the only American captain that was permanently based in Antibes at the time. And as uh, many of you know from listening to these podcasts, that I wasn't particularly innocent. And I had had a lot of uh, proper and not-so-proper experience with people sailing. I was a veteran of the Vietnam War. I an, was an over-educated writer. And at that time, I was really looking for my voice. What I didn't realize at the time was I was becoming one of those scoundrels. And Laura and I, um, my unstable beauty, um, she was basically like my ticket to jobs. I had become more and more cantankerous and less um, less generous, I suppose, would be the word. Um, I was always irritated. Um, the owners pissed me off. The people around the boat pissed me off. A lot of things. I was in a bit, very kind of weird space as far as that was concerned. And I think what it was, as I look back in retrospect, is it was a lesson I, a lesson that I needed to learn um, personality-wise. And I needed to really start pursuing what it was that I wanted to do, which was, at the time, is I wanted to become a better writer and, and work more in that craft. Laura and I, we worked in the Caribbean, the Eastern Med, and the Western Med. Um, Laura was very beautiful. Um, she's very, very athletic. Um, her French was impeccable because she went to school in France. She was actually from Bordeaux. Um, her parents were Spanish. Um, they had uh, escaped uh, uh, Franco Spain, um, had met in, in, in France. I have a story um, called The Mosaic, which is based on her father. Um, and she was very outgoing and generous, and it, it, she would almost she would make people sort of stand back like, how can this really extravagantly beautiful woman be so super nice and kind and, and, and loving and people, it would throw people off like that. But Laura was great for me because I was on the other side of the thing. I was, you know, a bit of an asshole. Although I had all the technical experience you could possibly want. I just, I, I had just run out of charm. But anyway, the broker, Sean, um, we had met, and for the life of me, I don't remember how we met. But in any case, we, we had met and had talked about um, running some boats out of Central Pay. I was pretty excited about it. And then he sort of disappeared, and then he came and called me up and said, Hey, what are you doing? Where are you? I 
at the time I was living in Antibes. Um, Laura and I had just brought a boat uh, that we were running, a Falcon 90 um, power boat, lovely boat, really lovely boat. Um, we had brought it from, um, we did a season in Greece and brought it back uh, to Antibes. And then the boat was going to be sold. Uh, and that's pretty much a lot of how one goes from one job to another job. You know, the boat gets sold. And if the owner isn't buying another boat, the captain is, you know, on the shore looking for a job. So we met in a restaurant, Marty and Kitka and um, Sean, um, Laura and myself, and we had drinks and they interviewed us and um, we went on, you know, they asked us a lot of questions. Marty was particularly interested in my knowledge about electricity and batteries and how things ran on a boat and he was very concerned about this for some unknown reason and um, but I answered all his questions I explained to him some of the things we were doing and as it turns out he was building a San Lorenzo 90 which is a big ass boat very pretty very nice and we were hired um, to supervise the build and then um, sail the boat around and be the boat captain. Well, the evolution of building this 90 was going to start with selling a boat that he already had, which was a Ferretti 72. So my first job, or Laura and I's first job, was to uh, fly to Spain, pick up the boat... All right, and then take the boat down to Melilla, um, which is in the southern part of Spain. It was actually in the northern part of Spain. Um, it was in Catalonia. So it's a nice trip. It's, you know, it's a 12 hours maybe, somewhere in that neighborhood, because the Ferretti is, is a bat out of hell boat. It goes real fast. It's a planing vessel. Um, fuel is no problem. Um, not when you have their money, they don't care. So, um, that was, that was the job. Now I was supposed to relieve a captain that they said they had had problems with. As I tried to get into more details as like, okay, what are the problems with this captain? Uh, it started to become a little bit of a problem. And, um, I thought, okay, I have to be careful with this. The guy's name was John Smythe. So the plan was to go to northern Spain and Catalonia, pick up the boat, relieve him of his command, pay him off, crux of the story, and then take the boat down to Malia. In Malia, uh, the Kika family would join us and they'd spend a week on the boat, okay, and then they would leave, and then we would pack all the personal stuff off of the boat, and we would drive the personal stuff back to Saint-Tropez, where, you know, and this is like a two-day drive. I mean, it's a long drive. And um, where Jean, the broker, would store all the stuff. Then Laura and I would return to Antibes, where we had an apartment, and then I would go to San Lorenzo 
in Italy and began building the boat or supervising the build of the boat. It was already underway. Um, I would go and I would be introduced as the owner's surveyor, which is a, an important distinction in building boats. So that would be my, that would, that was the entire plan. And I thought, this is a great plan. The pay was great. Laura was very happy. The boats, the power boats were very pretty. Um, fun to drive, fun to be on. Um, and it was just, it was good work. Okay. It was good work. We're on the sea. It was fairly easy. And, um, that was it. So we were pretty happy. Now I'm going to introduce another character, um, Joey, who's an important character in this. And as I said before, he was sort of, um, he was, or is, um, a mafia guy, um, who left the United States under clouded situation. And, um, he and I became friends because he was American, I'm American, and there weren't very many Americans around. So that was our, you know, our quick bond. Um, but he was wanted to write his, his life story. And it's kind of a, a, you know, a good guy's story, good fellows. And uh, he he had trouble writing it and, and things. But since I was a writer, I had helped him a lot and he he and I became pretty good friends um but I'll get back to Joey because Joey is uh he kind of looks like a mafia guy he's a big guy maybe six two six three um heavy set um usually drug addled um not very clear thinking sometimes very quick temper um, even with me, who was his friend, he would be quick-tempered. It was it was bizarre. So anyway, we we started going through the process, and um, Laura and I uh, jumped on a plane. We flew down to Catalonia. You know, we had all our our bags, and and off we went. So our bags consisted of um, our clothes, etc for what we were going to wear. Also, our bags had a computer, and I was carrying roughly about 15 grand in cash. Um, so it was, uh, you know, we had to be careful about that bag, to say the least. So um, it, it's kind of a difficult thing, you know, getting off the plane, and then from the plane we took a train, and the train took us north to the marina, um, we get off of the train and there's no cabs or anything around. So we had quite a hike to get down into the marina and then go and find the boat. When we arrived, there was John Smythe. I said, you know, how you doing? Da, da, da. The owner had called him. So we had checked. Yes, everything is cool. John says, yeah, everything's cool, man. All great. You know, very English kind of, you know under the garbage pail kind of guy, but I didn't want to be too judgmental at that particular point. I just wanted him to get off the boat and let uh, Laura and I get on the boat. And then the next morning we would leave and go down to Malia. It wasn't supposed to be a very hard thing. So he, you know, he was very genuine. Hey, how you doing? This, that, another thing. I said, okay, here's some papers. You know, we signed the papers 
you know, he signed a paper saying he was giving control of the boat to me and that he was relieved of command and that he, you know, I had him sign a, 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 a chit for the fact that I was giving him, I think at the time, something like $5,000, which is what he was owed for money that he had spent and for this, that, and other thing. And he signed it. He took the money. He said, thank you very much. He had his bag in his hand, literally waiting for us. And it turns out there was somebody else on the boat. And it was this, this girl, a Catalonian girl, that John Smythe was having a relationship with. And she goes, where's my money? And I'm like, I, I didn't even know you existed, and I don't have money for you. Now, she is speaking essentially, because her English is almost non-existent, um, she's speaking exclusively with Laura, whose Spanish is brilliant, and Catalonian and Spanish are relatively close, and they, you know, so they're, they're going back and forth. And I said, whatever money you were owed, you were owed by the captain because the owner didn't recognize that you were here working on the boat. So here's the problem. John Smythe hired this girl, who, by the way, was his girlfriend, all right, to clean the boat, to be on the boat, etc., 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 and promised her a wage. He did this without knowledge of Marty, or at least that's what he, that's what Marty had said. Okay, well, in fact, John said, no, that's not what it is, it's this. I said, well, you, look, dude, you're just going to have to pay that, that five grand, pay her off. I think, you know, it was like, she was owed like $2,000. I said, just pay her off, that's your money. You know, you, you, that is your hire, you pay her, that's your money. It comes out of the boat stuff, whatever it is, we don't care. Just pay her. Both of you get off the frickin' boat. End of story. So we move all our stuff onto the boat. There's some handshakes. She leaves the boat. I come back to um, the aft deck. John has left the boat. And then the next thing I know is... John and this girl are back on the boat and they're claiming they're not going to leave the boat because they weren't paid. So the girl is talking to me and talking to Laura saying, yeah, you guys should pay us. And I'm telling them, I said, look, I paid John. John has to pay you. She's saying, John says you didn't pay him. So now we have a real problem because John is lying out of his ass. Okay, so there's this big kerfuffle, an argument going on, and John is sitting in the a in, on the aft deck. He's not leaving. He said, I'm staying here until I'm paid, until she's paid, acting like he's some sort of noble asshole. So I go down, and, and, and then we said, well, we're just going to have to call the dock master to get you guys off because I've got all the proper, pap proper paperwork and, and stuff like that. Then the next thing is, is this man comes, and it turns out it's the girl's father. Well, the girl's father happens to be, quote-unquote, a councilman in the, in, the, in the local town. So he's got some big political pull. And I'm explaining 
uh, actually Laura, there's this translation going on. Laura's explaining to him that, look, we, we're taking over the boat. Here are the papers, the documents we signed, that John has signed. We have a chit that says that we paid John $5,000, and then John has to pay your daughter out of that $5,000. And he's just like not getting it. So the next thing we know is there's two policemen standing there. And both Laura and I are standing on the dock while the girlfriend and John Smythe are on the boat. The next thing we know is the passerelle starts going up. It starts going up, right, to keep us from getting on the boat. John throws our bags onto the dock, okay? Now, the bag with 15 grand in it and my computer is sitting in the salon. And I don't want him to throw that off because it could land in the water. It could do a lot of things. Well, this is the genius of Laura. We're standing there. I'm trying to explain to the policeman now in my horrible Spanish. And Laura is explaining to them and she sees the passerelle going up. She takes off. This is insane. Because I did mention that she was also a Tai Chi master. She takes off and grabs the end of the passerelle and heaves herself up on the passerelle. The girl, okay, is at the end of the passerelle. She tries to block her. And Laura hits her with a Tai Chi move in the chest that knocks her back over a table. Then she hits the button to lower the passerelle. I'm trying to get these policemen to, like, you see what's going on? We got to stop this and anything. I run up onto the boat because the passerelle's been lowered down. I run up on the boat, and Laura is fighting John Smythe, and John is just flailing at her. But Laura is so good at her Tai Chi moves. She's blocking everything. She's, like, in total control, okay? and But she's much smaller than he is. So I jump in front of her and I push her to the side and John starts wailing on me and I'm blocking all his punches and all the rest of this kind of stuff. The girlfriend in the meantime, all right, has run inside and has got our, my bag with the computer and $15,000 in cash and she's getting ready to toss it overboard. But Laura grabs the bag from her and pulls her down. And the two of them are pulling back and forth on this bag on the aft deck of this Ferretti 72. And then John is like swinging these wildly and this, that, and other thing and calling me names. I'm saying, dude, stop, stop, stop. I mean, it was not like he wasn't going to hurt me at all. And, and so he's doing it. And then he, I pushed him, all right, and I was trying... In my mind, I was thinking, I don't really want to beat this guy up because the police are standing there and I'm in a bad situation as far as this is concerned. So I push him. He goes back. He falls over the rail and falls into the water. And that pretty much put an end to the fight. The police step, finally stepped on board after everything was done and essentially said that the harbor master is going to have to decide how this is going to end and that we, Laura and I, should leave the boat and to them and then leave. 
and then come back tomorrow and sit down with the harbor master and go through this whole thing. Right now it's it's like nine ten o'clock at night. It's it's dark. Um, so we agree there wasn't anything that Laura and I could do. I am totally impressed with her Tai Chi skills because I had never seen him before. Even though I knew that you know she did the whole Tai Chi thing on the back of the boat as exercise and meditation. Um, but to see it in action, it was pretty impressive. And um, so we grab our bags again. Okay, we have our computer, we have the money, and um, we try to get a hold of uh, Marty. Well, Marty, I can't get a hold of Marty. Um, he won't answer his phone. My cell phone is, you know, I'm trying to get a hold of him and he doesn't answer the phone, so I left him a message. So now we walk out of the marina, and it's a hike. I'm telling you, it's this is a hike. It's, you know, it's like, three, four hundred yards dragging these heavy bags um, and all our money and stuff. So we asked some people because there's like no one around. We ran into we ran into a couple of joggers and they I, we asked, where is there a, a hotel? And they said, oh, it's up on this street over here on the side of the hill. So we had to walk all the way up this. This hill was quite a long, it was quite a long walk to get to this 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 hotel it took us so long to get to the hotel that we stopped and asked this guy who was walking his dog where the hotel was because we were sort of lost as it turns out it's the father the councilman so we're standing there above the marina looking down on the marina his daughter is down on the boat with John Smythe, and he's up there walking his dog, and he says, yeah, look, I'm real sorry about this stuff, but my daughter needs to get paid. He speaks perfect English. He didn't speak English before. He's only speaking Spanish. And, and, and then I said, you realize that John Smythe is ripping your daughter off. Oh, no, they love each other. And I'm like, okay. All right, that's good. Thanks. Where's the hotel? I figured I'm done, and we're tired. We've been traveling all day. We've been in a fight. Okay, we're done. So we get to the hotel. Finally, we check in. We're both exhausted. We call Marty again. Marty answers the phone. We explain everything that happened to him. And then Marty goes like, oh, yeah, I forgot about her. But you know what? You have enough money to pay them both off. Anyway, there's something else. I said, okay. I said, what is it? And he says, there's a scooter. I want the scooter on the boat. John has got the scooter. He's been using it. But I want the scooter on the boat because I paid for it. I said, do we have any papers and stuff? He goes, oh, no, no, John paid for it. But he knows that's my scooter because I gave him the money to buy the scooter for the boat. That's the boat's scooter. <sighs> okay. I said, so I don't have proof that you own the scooter. The papers have John's name on the scooter, and you want John to give these up after he just tried ripping us off. 
Is that is that what I'm reading here? Well, it's not really like that. But yes, let, just get the scooter. End of story. And and I'll call the dock master and, and we'll get everything sorted out in the morning. I said, okay, great. Well, to be perfectly honest and to give you a clear sense of this, Marty owed a VAT tax on the boat. That's a value-added tax, as I explained. He owed that on this boat. And the dock master was trying to collect that. He was also trying to collect um, fees, dockage from the boat that had been there a while, that, that John had been taking, taking care of. So there was all these extra bills that were owing. So Marty had to come up with the money, which he had, but he's just rich people being silly, all right? I'm not going to pay that money. It's not right. Just pay the damn money and move on. It's nothing. It's nothing, okay? It's pocket change. So he ends up paying everything off. We stay in a hotel for actually three days. Finally, we get everything resolved. We have a big meeting with the dock master. Thank you very much. Uh, John talks to Marty. Um, everything is agreed to. We go. We pay the girl off. She got another. She got another five thousand. All right. Uh, the scooter ends up at the back of the boat, which I end up having to put on the boat, um, and which is a pain in the butt. And um, we have that all set up, ready to go. And so I'm finally going to be able to move this boat. Now, if it wasn't for Laura, and if I had somebody with, with me that didn't speak Spanish, I would be completely screwed. I wouldn't have gotten that boat. And what John was trying to do was he was trying to steal the boat. He wanted to put a lien on the boat, which is why he let us take the scooter, all right? Because he was going to claim in Spanish court that he was owed all this money for the boat and that all the fees that was owed the government and the VAT tax and all the rest of that kind of stuff, that he would be willing to pay those things for the ownership of that boat. Bizarre as that sounds, it was an avenue of a hustle. We put a stop to it. I put a stop to it. Marty put a stop to it. All, we got the scooter, which the scooter is like this big thing in Marty's head. Got it on the boat. Got ourselves together. Took off our moorings and began to putter our way down to Malia. Once we get outside the marina and I started to put some more fuel into the more acceleration, one of the engines completely cut out. It was starved for fuel. The next thing I knew, the second engine cut out. It was starved for fuel. Well, Mr. Smythe had sabotaged the fuel in the boat. And what he had done is, for these big Caterpillar engines, because this, this is a very powerful boat. It'll do 25, 28 knots on a good sea. Is that there is a day tank, which sits in the middle of the boat, and then there's two fuel tanks that, that feed the day tank, and the day tank feeds the engines. Between those are fuel filters. 
And in this case, there's two sets of, you know, independent fuel filters. So the fuel is filtered twice through two different sets of filters, the Raycar filters, filters, which we're all familiar with. And what he had done is he, and this is so clever, and it took me hours of literally floating in the Mediterranean off the coast of Spain to figure out that he had taken a a BB and he had put it in the feed side of the fuel line going into the filter. Now, I could take the filter apart, look at it and go, hey, this is cool. It's, everything's good. But of course, you shut the fuel off before you open up the fuel filter to check to see if it's got, you know, all the flow going in the right direction, et cetera, et cetera. But you never would see the connection that goes to the fuel filter that feeds it, the end for the fuel filter. And in that line, which isn't very long, that line is that line was about maybe a foot, foot and a half, he had put a BB that allowed just enough fuel to get by so that the engine would run. Of course, the engine's being fed essentially by the day tank, which is a 100-gallon day tank, all right? And so once you use that 100 gallons with both engines, um, it couldn't fill back up. So and it would only be a little bit, and it would just suck all it. We start sucking air and diesel engine and air, and that's a whole different topic. And, and so I just I just was down there taking things apart. You know, I was checking one piece to the next piece to the next piece to the next piece and making sure everything was clear and this, that, and another thing, and we're flopping around because there was, you know, this, that, and, you know, the ocean was just flipping us around and all the rest of this kind of stuff, and then... I opened up the fuel thing. I've got fuel everywhere, and out pops this little BB. And I, of course, you can imagine what I said. Put the whole thing back together. Said thank you very much. Went to the second engine, um, the starboard engine. Same thing. Boom. Done. Took off. On our way to Malia. Covered in diesel fuel. Pissed off. So that was the sabotage by John Smith. So we finally have this beautiful night sail. It's a nice, beautiful all-night sail down the coast. We're just flying along. But I'm getting very tired. It's it's been the day, it's just exhausting. So there's a there was a little cove, a little place that I actually had been in before. And I thought, you know what, let's just go in there and anchor, get a couple hours of sleep, and then we'll go into Malia. You know, and there was no rush. We we had the time to get down there, and we were cool with everything. We had plenty of food, fuel, everything. So we go in, we anchor the boat in this little tiny town, which is just north of uh, Malia. I kind of miss it, miss, uh, misjudged the the distance because Malia wasn't that far um, away and I probably could have gone into Malia that night but I was really dragging ass and I thought you know better be safe than sorry after all this stuff so we anchored the next 
morning at about eight o'clock, there was a boat knocking on the side of the door. And it's the Spanish authorities from this little tiny town that's there asking if we have our VAT tax paid. So they're trying to hustle us for this VAT tax. We say, no, the boat is being sold. We're just transferring it down to Malia. The broker in Malia has it. We have to do all this phone calling and all, they don't have a phone and we have a phone and they're using the And it's just, so it's like two hours of negotiating the, you know, that they want VAT tax. They, they want, this is a $5 million boat and they, they want 18% cash on the barrel right now or this boat's going to stay right where it is and we are of course arguing about this and no this is not we don't have to do this we don't have to do that we can do this and this is what we have and here's our exemption and because we did have an exemption for the vat tax but they didn't it was like the piece of paper they didn't want to see or you know that you paid it they didn't want to see that either they wanted to see nothing so that they could charge you and then they would keep the boat Right. So it's like blackmail. Pay it or you can't have your boat. So this went on for a couple hours. And finally, just completely exhausted, having only a couple hours of sleep, having gone through all this nonsense with John Smythe in the engine room and all the rest of that kind of stuff. I just I was just about ready to to, to kill somebody. And Laura was so cheerful. It was like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's going to be fun. This, that, and other thing. And I said, you know what? Let's, let's, we can do this. We'll, we'll be okay. So we finally finished this little event. And, and the whole authorities with the VAT tax, it's, it's just scoundrel shit. That's all it is. So we get down, we go into Malia, we get the boat, um, docked and um the broker not jean but another broker who's actually going to be working with jean to sell the boat um meets us at the dock and you know takes our lines and this that other thing and um we have a very congenial time and now we're just going to get the boat cleaned up but i'm not going to clean the boat up until i actually get some kind of rest so we get some rest I'm washing the boat, and the next thing I know is another set of scoundrels show up. And they're standing on the back of the boat without the broker, telling me in their broken Russian that they've come to buy the boat. We're going to look at the boat. We're going to buy the boat. Yes, we want to buy, we're buying the boat. It's our boat now. We want to buy the boat. You can be our captain. We want to buy the boat. That's it. And I'm going like, well, you got to show me some papers. You got to show me something and this and thing. Uh, no show. Plenty of money. No problem. No problem. So the broker comes by. In, he's a Spanish broker. He speaks excellent English. Wonderful little, wonderful man. He comes by and he goes, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, you know, prospective buyers. They just want to look over the boat. They're not going to stay. I said, no, well, I'm not taking them out. Right, you get that. He goes, no, 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 it's okay. They just want to come and look at the interior and this other kind of thing. So these guys come in. They sit in the salon. You know, the aft door is open. They sit in the salon. They ask for drinks. And, and Laura and I are hospitable people. So, you know, we give them some drinks. Um, they're smoking cigars and cigarettes. And they're sitting there, not looking at the boat at all. 
They're just sitting on the back of, on the boat, and they're talking. And the broker disappears, and we're just they're just sitting here talking. They were literally on that boat drinking the booze, asking for food, and a bunch of other things for four hours. And finally, they leave. They say, oh, yes, we take the boat out now. I go, no, we're not taking the boat out. Not happening. No, 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 we take the boat out now. I said, no, 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 no. He says, we have friends coming. We're going to take the boat out. Well, they invited girls. They they were going to have a party on the boat. I said, no, 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 no. You buy first, then party. And so this is this is like bizarro. So finally we get them off the boat. We clean up after them. They made a mess of the boat. The boat stinks of cigar. Any we clean everything up. And Laura is a wonderful super cleaner. We get all this stuff done. We've got this scooter on top uh, on the second deck that is uh, completely illegal with no papers. And um, there we are. We have this whole thing. Then the whole family come down. And we get to experience this whole dysfunctional family thing where Marty, the two-year-old, has about as as much empathy as Donald Trump. Um, He's very manipulative. Um, He likes to, you know go and hug his daughter and his daughter just like bristles with my god don't touch me um his son is just just shakes his head like can i get out of here why do i have to be here um his son was like 24 25 i mean he had his own computer business and stuff like that and the daughter she ran part of his business which was a giant uh, chemical company and she was just like him, only probably worse. So this was all this was all wonderful, right? Okay, it's the family. We we have a honeymoon. Every every time you run a boat and you have the family on for the first time, it's sort of like a honeymoon. You learn a lot about who they are, what they like, what they don't like. You're kind of on eggshells. You're very accommodating. Well, you're always accommodating, but more than usual. So they came on, the dog, the little dog, I can't remember those, one of those little fuzzy terrier types is her dog. And um, the first thing he does is take a head dive into the ocean. I reach down and pick up the dog by the nap of the neck and bring him up and hand him to her, the daughter. She screams at me like I, I, you know, like I raped her or cut her or something. This poor dog. I said, how am I supposed to get this dog out of the water? This is the fastest way. Otherwise, because the dog couldn't swim. The dog was, was going to drown in like another 30 seconds. There was no doubt about that. And she's screaming at me because I manhandled the dog and this, that, and the other thing. And then I get dirty looks from everybody like, oh, okay, I see the dog is a touchy subject in this family. So she takes the dog downstairs and puts the dog and washes the dog, not on the deck for all the salt water, but washes the dog and grooms the dog in the shower downstairs. And, of course, the hair from the dog clogs the shower, which creates another problem for me because now I have to go and unclog the shower 
and the pump that was in there, I had to unclog that and put it all back together. That's only another hour or so of work that I hadn't intended on doing at the same time being, you know, screamed at by this 20 something Finnish girl. I was, I was, um, not particularly happy. But this is where Laura came in because she was very, very cheerful and very nice. And she sort of assuaged everybody's views and off we went. So they decide that Marty and um, his wife decide that we want to take the boat out and go down to Gibraltar. Gibraltar's not that far, about 40, 45 minutes by boat. And just go down and go in the harbor and maybe grab some lunch or something like that. Well, it's... The weather's horrible. The sea is up. It's very choppy. It's very cold. But we go anyway. And at that point, I probably should have realized that they, when Marty and Kitka come, that they want to go. They don't care about weather. They're from Finland, and they have bad weather all the time. And if it wasn't, if they had to wait for good weather, they'd never get to go out on their boats. So there we're going to go. That was the thing. So here we go. We go out. We we go down to Gibraltar. We get the shit kicked out of us. Come back after having a lunch down in Gibraltar and going through the whole check-in process, this, that, and other thing. And we bought some fuel down there, which is another little thing that you have to do. And as it turns out that, uh, you know, Kitka, she's the one that uh, handles all the money. He does all the business, and she handles all the cash. So we finally got this dysfunctional family off the boat after a week. Um, We got to learn a lot about who they were, uh, about Finnish ways. Uh, We we had reindeer um, and a bunch of other uh, delicacies from from Finland. And we had a lot of fun, and and they gave me... um, uh, a Laplander um, hat to wear with with reindeer um, horns on it and stuff. And it, it was as bizarre as it sounds. But it was a very warm hat, I might add that. But since I was going to be in the Mediterranean for the next year or so, I figured, you know, I, w- I could stay warm with them. So we go back up to Malia we drop them off. We shake hands. Ha ha. Bum bum. Here's all the stuff. Um, Kitka and her daughter and the son, they had sort of assembled everything they wanted off the boat. And they had a lot of shit on the boat, plus the scooter. So I needed to rent a truck to, to take all this stuff back, like a U-Haul truck. Well, I can't take a U-Haul truck into, from Spain into France. Okay, it, they won't let it out of the country. So I had to call a friend of mine to rent a truck in Antibes and drive it down to Spain where we were in southern Spain. We would load it up, then we would drive it back because it was a French truck that would be allowed to be back in France. These are all these little crazy little things that you have to constantly do. So anyway, my buddy Tim, he does that. And, you know, I'm paying him wages, like a mate mate wages for doing this. And he's more than happy to do it because he wasn't doing anything anyway. And it was good money for him. And it was a long drive, but, you know, it was it was good. So he came. 
um, rested for a day on the boat. We took it easy. We went out to dinner a couple times. You know, we just, we had a good time because we were in no rush to get back. So off we go and we drive all the way back. We get to the border between Spain and France and I was in the back of the truck asleep laying in a bunch of plastic bags sound asleep because I had driven for about eight, 10 hours at that point. I was tired. And next thing I know is the doors to the truck swing open. I was dead asleep. And they were looking at us and they're talking to us and it's the police and what are we smuggling and da 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 da. And thank God again for Laura who charmed the policeman, explained who she was, explained what we were doing. They asked about the papers because in the truck we had that scooter. And she said, oh, well, the papers were on the boat. We're doing this and doing that. And as it turns out, she's so charming that the policeman just sort of like, okay, whatever you say is fine with us. Close up the thing. Freaked me out because I'm standing on the, in the middle of the road like half asleep. And I'm being accused of being a smuggler when, you know, we just have dirty clothes and some dishes and some knickknacks and, and, uh, and this, this scooter without papers. So we finally got into France and we make it all the way to uh, Saint-Tropez. We offload everything, including the scooter, and Jean takes the scooter to take in his place. We jump in the truck again and go down Antibes, drop the truck off, pay for the truck, and then we just like, just fall apart. Okay, we had done this. So for the next three months, I was driving back and forth between Antibes and Italy um, to the San Lorenzo boatyard and building San Lorenzo's for Marty. He was building a new... 90-foot San Lorenzo, which is very, very exciting. And that was sort of the beginning of another type of adventure with them, which became even more bizarre. Now, I will mention that my friend Joey, I tell Joey this story about how this captain tried to hustle us on this boat and all the rest of this kind of stuff and how we got into a fight and, you know, I shoved him over and this, that, and the thing. And Joey goes and typical mafia thing. He says, you want me to take care of it? And I said, what do you mean take care of it? There's nothing to take care of. It's done. It's finished. Nothing to take care of. He says, no, let me take care of it. If I see him, I'll take care of it. I said, how are you going to take care of it? He says, I I don't know. I'm going to introduce him to Louisville. And he goes, oh, Louisville bat, right? Um, This is sort of what he what Joey did in the old days um, before he had to leave the United States and live in the south of France. So um, about two weeks later, I look up and I see John Smythe. And John Smythe starts talking shit. I'm on the street in Antibes. He's talking shit to me. I beat you up. I did this and been this. I'm going to find that scooter and I'm going to sue Marty Key. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And he's going on and on and on and on. And I'm like, I'm looking at this dude and I said, dude, you're way out of your element here. And as it turns out, sitting in a cafe, this is in one of the little central squares in Antibes that had this run-in with John Smythe. I come back, and there's Joey, and Joey says, that guy, 
I said, yeah, I said, don't worry about it. He's nobody. He's nothing. You know, as it turns out, he had a girlfriend in Spain and he had a wife in Saint-Tropez that was just about having, we just had a baby and, you know, he's just, he's just a piece of shit and we shouldn't pay attention to him and this, that, and other thing. Two days later, I see John Smythe limping on crutches. He has a broken arm. He has a broken leg. His head is broken. He's got black eyes. He sees me, and he just like hobbles away down the side street, and I've never seen him again. And I go to Joey. I said, Joey, I said, did, did the Louisville get out? And he goes, no, you know, I just, I needed some exercise. Oscar, that was an interesting story. What was the coast of Spain like? You said you kind of snuck into a little cove there. Are there a lot of little coves there? Like what, what is that coastline like? Well, surprisingly enough, it's the the coastline uh, on the Mediterranean side, as well as kind of the Atlantic side, almost looks like the coast of California, to be honest. Um, Lots of cliffs, uh, breakers, uh, surf. Uh, When you get down a little bit to the south, there are more um, near Valencia, there's a big um, national park down there and, and um, like swamps and, and different kind of things from the, from the river that comes down there whose name I don't remember at the moment. But uh, the coast is, is a place where a lot of people go to retire and it has a, a very, very different feel. Um, and from the north to the south, there's a lot of English uh, Englishmen that uh, go there, a lot of uh, Germans, um, and that whole coast is a big um, community retirement uh, place all the way down to um, probably just below uh, Marbella. And um, so that is, that's one of the cool places. Um, and, and ironically, a lot of the people from Andorra uh, which is a little tiny principality between France and Spain, um, is where a lot of people who are wanted by the government or governments go and hide and live because they don't have an extradition law there. But they sneak out and come down to Marbella and to, they go to the coast. and it's uh, So you get a lot of uh, characters, to say the le- least. Okay, great. So what do we have coming up for next week's episode? Well, next week is we've we you and I have discussed and um, we've gone through a, a few iterations of this is I'm going to talk about sex on boats. Okay, great. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll see you next week. All right, thanks, Todd. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to rate and review. You can find us on Facebook and at offshoreexplorer.org. You can also listen to past episodes at offshore-explorer.simplecast.com. Our theme song is sung by Paulette McWilliams, with additional music by Amanu Tony and Tommy Twain. 
until next time, fair winds and calm seas.